Email todayradio at rte.ie. Now we're going to return to the new measures announced by the government yesterday evening to combat the spread of coronavirus and my next guest says that one of the government's key messages was overlooked and lost amongst the reaction to the new measures. Paddy Mallon is Professor of Microbial Diseases at UCD and Consultant in Infectious Diseases at St Vincent's Hospital and he joins me now on the line to explain. Um, so Paddy, you think we, we've overlooked one of the government's key messages yesterday regarding their roadmap for, as they call it, resilience and recovery. Can you explain? Yeah, so I think that what a lot of uh, what a lot of commentators have been discussing over the last you know, week or two has been uh, clarity around what our what, what our strategy is as a country. And the Taoiseach last night clearly put out this uh, this roadmap for resilience and recovery that he plans to to bring in in mid September. And and the plan is that we are going to live with the virus, and that's that's an important, in my view, strategic announcement because it sets a stall for where we are. Now, what that, what that means then is that we need to focus, if that's going to be our country's strategy, we need to focus on what that means. Uh, and in, in addition to resilience and recovery, I think what's probably needed is a healthy dose of reality here for what it is to actually live with, with a virus like this. Um, and what that means is that you know, the reality of living with COVID-19 means that for the foreseeable future, Older people within our population are going to be living quite a different life. Uh, they're going to, there's going to be some element of cocooning for the foreseeable future for older members and more vulnerable members of our population because they need to avoid contracting this virus at all costs, especially if there's continued community transmission. The reality also is that that has implications for how our whole modern family units function, You know, where grandparents are integral in terms of childcare and how that's going to function, how we're going to keep old people safe but keep schools reopening with community transmission and live with this virus. We need to tackle that and we need to find solutions. But the reality of living with this virus also means that we need to continue to, to look at working environments that, that permit spread of this virus. You know, uh, Philip Nolan last night said that a lot, these large outbreaks have really been the source of a lot of what we're seeing at the moment. We need to address those working environments. We, need, we can't continue to have living conditions for some of the people that work in these working environments that also permit spread of the virus, and some of these living conditions are under state control. So all of these, all of these are the reality of what it is to live with the virus, and I think it's time that we start addressing these. And do you think then the government has been clear enough in its communications of that, if, as it says, and as you say, uh, it has decided zero COVID is not the way we're going, we're going to live alongside this virus, does it need then to be more clear to people that you will have to change the way you live and continue to change the way you live for the foreseeable future, such as, for example, the provisions for, for older people? This, this is not going to be easy. The reality of living with COVID-19 presents immediate challenges that are facing all of society. It's going to take a concerted effort, and that effort needs to start at the top. Uh, and it needs, to stop, it needs to start immediately. You know, at the moment, what we're seeing at the moment is a testing, tracing and isolation procedure that is not able to contain spread of the virus. So at the moment, what we have in place is not working. The consequences of that are what we're seeing at the minute, which are mitigation measures being put in place. So already the strategy is on the back edge, it's on the back foot, and immediate action needs to be taken. You know, and in addition to that, you know, the reality of living with this virus is spectator sports, we can forget about them for the foreseeable future. Mm. Um, I think that you know, the, the, the general measures that we have around our health services, we need to be considering how we continue to provide normal health care services, but also be able to provide care for acute and post-COVID. These are all immediate, uh, immediate realities 
that we're facing right now that really need to be addressed as a matter of urgency. Okay. And can I ask you about that, that issue about spectator sports because the GAA did issue a statement yesterday evening when, when it was announced that uh, people wouldn't be allowed to attend matches anymore. Um, the GAA calling for the empirical evidence to be published by Neffet to, to show the reasoning for that. Um, obviously not happy, the GAA. Uh, is, is that a fair position for them to take? So I think that there, there's a huge amount of frustration out there and there's a huge amount of legitimate frustration out there because we're in a position now where we have a strategy that's living with the virus, but at the moment we don't have the pieces in place to be able to follow that strategy. And a consequence of that are mitigation measures. And the mitigation measures that are being put out there are exactly the measures that the GAA are complaining about. Now, I do have issue with, with how they did it. I think that these are legitimate. Uh, they're obviously legitimate frustrations. I think... Um, uh, uh, for example, releasing a statement from a large organisation that pinpoints uh, Dr. Glynn, when Dr. Glynn is not a policymaker, I think is, is, is probably not the best approach because the story then becomes about that rather than coming about the frustrations. Mm. I've known Dr. Glynn professionally for a number of years. He's an exceptional individual. Uh, I think all of your listeners should know that he is. He not only works with dignity, but he, dignity and integrity. This guy, I know for a fact, is only interested in one thing, and that's the public interest. And I think we don't have too many people like Dr. Glynn in the country. And, and I think we've got to be careful about how we treat people that are in these incredibly important uh, but incredibly stressful positions. Uh, and I think okay. that our frustration should be directed, frustrations about policy should be directed at the people that make policy, and that's clearly the government. OK, and can I ask you, in relation to the government, you mentioned testing and tracing. Uh, the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, was on primetime last night, and uh, he pointed out that in New Zealand, their, their turnaround time from the test to the end of contact tracing is five days. We're aiming here for, for three days, and he, his point being that, you know, we're, we're not behind um, other countries in relation to that. Is three days fast enough in, in your view? So the Oireachtas Committee report that was, I think it was last week or maybe the week before, that was uh, released on, on testing and tracing said that it should be a one-day turnaround. Now the turnaround time, the definition of turnaround time, clearly needs to be that if I request a test, the turnaround time should be the time from when I re- request a test to when I receive the result as a citizen. Now, if that, if that is longer than what the committee have said it should be, then it's not good enough. And it clearly isn't good enough because if it was good enough, we wouldn't be in the position that we're in at the minute. Now, it's not to, it's not to criticise the HSE because the HSE have put a huge amount of work into this. Um, but we're, if we're going to live with this virus, the key to living with this virus and controlling the virus is the test, trace and isolate. Okay. And, um, and the fact is at the minute that we're not controlling it. And that's the reality. Just finally and briefly, if you don't mind, Paddy, in relation to pubs, we're expecting to hear on August 31st whether the wet pubs could reopen. Um, do you think that's likely or prudent, uh, given where we are at the moment? Uh, where we are at the moment, I really couldn't predict where we're going to be even towards the end of this week, sir, and that's the honest truth. Uh, and I think the, the problem with having longer delays in testing and tracing means you do not have visibility on what's happening with the virus real time. That hampers everything. It hampers predictions. It ha- hampers the ability of people like Philip Nolan and his group to model. Um, and we are in a mid- you know, the, the, the reality here is that the measures announced yesterday are back in mitigation phase measures. So when you're in mitigation, there's a huge amount of unpredictability there. Um, And that's why we, everyone in society, we need to, we all need to pair apart, but that needs to go right from the top, right to the very bottom uh, and try and start taking this again with the serious, it it needs to get it back under control. Will they work, do you think, these measures? 
they have to because that is the strategy that's set out. If you set out a strategy, everyone needs to roll in behind that strategy and make it work. But the key is, if it doesn't work, you've got to be brave enough to say, okay, we gave this a go. It's not working. We need to try something different. All right. Paddy Mallon, Professor of Microbial Diseases at UCD and Consultant in Infectious Diseases at St. Vincent's Hospital. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, We're joined on the line now by Porik Cribben, who's Chief Executive of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. And thank you for joining us this morning, Porik. Um, We have been discussing this, the the restrictions and and the new measures and all of that uh, for most of the show this morning. And we've been getting a a steady stream of texts into the show from people saying that pubs are flouting the regulations. What do you have to say to that? Uh, well, there, uh, the evidence is from the Gardaí that uh, there is a small number of pubs flouting the um, the rules. Uh, there was a high-profile uh, situation in Dublin uh, at the weekend, which was referred to as a pub, but of course it wasn't a pub. Uh, it was it, it was a restaurant with a theatre license. Uh, we have been very clear, Sarah, from day one that anybody who's found flouting the laws should face the, the full force of the law and that the Gardaí should take whatever action is necessary to put it right. But I think it should be, it should be put in a context as well that since pubs reopened on, um, uh, back in July, back in June, 29th of June, uh, by my reckoning at this point in time, there have been about 25,000 unannounced uh, visits. Uh, And I have absolutely no complaints about those. But I think we're getting to the stage where we really need to look where the problems are versus that 25,000 unannounced uh, visits. There have been 39 visits to meat plants of which nine were unannounced. We are at a stage where we keep hearing from government that we're all in this together. Well, I think the message needs to go back to the government that we're not all in it together anymore. And I think they should stop patronising us with this nonsense that we've all done a good job. If we were all doing the good job we're ta- they're talking about, the, the issues with the meat plants wouldn't be there. The issues with direct provisions wouldn't be there. Mm. The issue with house parties wouldn't, wouldn't be there. So I think there's, there's a reality check needed by government and by those who create the policy to address the issues that are out there and not be tinkering at the edges. All right. Uh, just finally then, the plans to reopen on August 31st, we still won't hear about those until later in the month. Um, do you expect you will be allowed to reopen? And if you're not, what will happen then? Well, I, I think there's been all kinds of mixed messages based on the numbers. It would be difficult to see that. But we have been very clear. We have, we have, we're one of the last businesses that cannot open because the government have told us we can't. We need immediate cash in the bank. Promises are no good at this point in time. There has been a cumulative effect where people are now at wit's end. Not alone are they financially drained, they are mentally drained. And we need a system put in place to support those businesses that are not open. It needs to be, it needs to be addressed on a weekly basis and it needs to be there from the 29th of June until we can open again. And I think there right. can be no fudging that issue. All right, Pork Cribben, thank you very much for joining us as Chief Executive of the Vintners Federation.
Federation of Ireland. Now, Father Iggy O'Donovan is an Augustinian priest based in Fethard in Tipperary and he joins me on the line to discuss the new measures and what they might mean for churches and older people. Um, and thank you very much for joining us this morning, Father. Now, yesterday evening's government press conference, one of the many questions put to Taoiseach Mio Martin was about older people going to Mass and he responded and said that people should use their individual judgment. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Well, uh, actually, the, the not that much changed yesterday in the Taoiseach's announcement uh, that the churches would remain open. And I think that the maximum number of 50 is still there. Mm-hmm. So that therefore, on that level, the yesterday's announcement didn't change very much. Uh, oh, no, well, as your earlier speaker said there, but I'm afraid we're going to have to live with the virus. And uh, interesting, the cases in the last, a very large number of cases in the last number of days, very, very many of them under 45. Now, that will tell you uh, one thing, Sarah, that is that most of them didn't happen in church because the average age of the churchgoer is generally well above that, well mm-hmm. above that. Mm-hmm. And uh, as is the average age of the clergy, like I belong to an organisation, the Augustinians, and our average age in Ireland is now more than 75. Sure, so therefore, any, any clamp down on older people, we'd certainly almost all be in there. Yeah, and I suppose that is the problem, isn't it? As you say, a lot of the cases are among the under 45 age group, but we also know that there is an increasing instance of community transmission, a, a much higher instance of community transmission than there was, um, which means it's it's there and it's in the community. And I just wonder in that context, do you think it's advisable for people to gather and go to mass and go to church and be outside and, you know, the, the, be around other people, particularly, as you say, the age group of, of, of many of the mass going public. Yes, it would be in what we call the, the, the vulnerable area. Though I had a very quick comment there. I was listening to Mrs. O'Rourke earlier, who would be very much in that age group herself. But my God, isn't she a national tonic? I, I, she, she gave is. me an uplift listening to her anyway. Fantastic. But... Um, you no, know, that is true. Now, but most churches, certainly the one I'm in here, I know that every effort has been made for social distancing, uh, hand sanitizing, wearing of masks, uh, distribution of Holy Communion severely curtailed, given out only by ministers who wear masks. But at the same time, I am conscious of sort of the church-going population. Many of them who go there, they are very often elderly people. It's part of their day to get to Mass in the morning and to link up with their few friends and so forth. And that is important, and I know many of them miss it deeply. Okay, the live streaming has come out a lot. We've all learned about that in recent months. But two little reservations I have about that. One, it's like being at a hurling match or watching it on TV. The difference is smelling a steak or eating it. The other thing is that, unfortunately, it has made our church even more clerical because as we look at this live streaming, it's just a priest in there on his own, back to the good old days, if you like, where lay participation, in, in, which wasn't great anyway, but certainly is cut back a lot more now. Mm. But at the... Uh, no, we do realise that we're going to live with this. And for us in the church, given that we're an ageing clergy, an ageing uh, congregation, I think we'll probably feel it more than most. In fact, we've already felt it in our pockets. And, that, and do you expect, sure, of course, and, and it's an issue we have discussed as well on, on the show, the, the funding for churches. Um, do you expect, even though there hasn't been any further restrictions in relation to mass um, and how many people can attend, that less people will attend in the, in the context of where we are with the virus now? Most most definitely. And I thought the, the Taoiseach was particularly, I thought he was quite grim last night and quite serious without, if you like, that little bit of um, ebullience of um, Leo. He was very, I thought, 
and he wanted to make the point very clearly and he did but uh, I know that already some people including some of the most loyal churchgoers have not been back they genuinely are worried and they genuinely are being very careful so some of them will not be back anyway another little point as well is that some of them have gotten used to sitting in their living room and watching religious services on TV and so forth where it can be more colourful more relaxed and at least as one gentleman said to me he said I'm sitting there he said it's much more meaningful I'm much more reflective I'm getting much more out of it than listening listening to you preaching (laughs) well it certainly works for somebody some people and and that's good to hear thank you very much for joining us this morning Father Iggy O'Donovan Augustinian priest in uh, Tipperary Uh, now I'm joined on the line by RTGAA analyst Colm O'Rourke because as we've been discussing the decision to hold all sport behind closed doors last night certainly raised a few eyebrows and the GAA did release a statement asking for a meeting with the acting chief medical officer to seek clarification on the scientific evidence to be presented to ban all spectators from sporting events until at least the 13th of September. Uh, Colm O'Rourke, what's your thoughts on on the rulings yesterday or on the advice yesterday? Well, uh, Sarah, it's come as a a surprise or maybe a shock to all of us who have been involved in the GEA. We thought that things were going well. I don't think that there was any cases directly uh, related to games or to clubs. Some clubs have had to stand down their members for a while, including my own. But <clears throat> these were always cases that arose outside sport. And I've been a lot of games over the last few weeks, and I didn't see any great congregation of people before or after games. I saw people who have been very responsible, keeping social distancing. And uh, they seemed to me, and we were only family members traveling in cars. Remember, the numbers were only 110 55 from each club was all that was getting tickets. So the numbers were quite small anyway. And there seems to be a bit of a contradiction here when you look at uh, in in the north of Ireland, it can be 400 at games. And uh, as well as that, we're going to have schools back. We're going to have over 900 in my own school indoor and Mm. 50 going on buses. So it seems quite a contradiction that you can't have uh, 110 at an outdoor event. Yeah, and indeed, we were speaking to Minister Eamon Ryan earlier on the show and he accepted that there are some contradictions here, but he was making the point that the government has to choose between what is optional and what is necessary, um, schools being necessary and sporting events being optional. Um, and in, in terms of the reason for looking at sport in particular, um, what Neffet said in their letter to, to the uh, government last night was that uh, there's been a change in the profile of, of the contacts and the people who are testing positive for COVID-19. They're seeing more people from households, workplace and social contacts including those associated with sporting activities and they expressed particular concern um, about a number of clusters that have emerged linked to sporting activities um, and as a, as a result of that they called on all sporting organisations to ensure the current guidelines are being adhered to and in particular they, they talked about physical distancing before and after the events during the breaks in play and, and asked for the avoidance of huddles. So it wasn't the match per se, it wasn't when people are sitting in the stadium or standing around the, the pitch. It was what happens before, after and during at the break times. Yeah, well, they are the experts, so we can't second-guess them on it. And I, I think Paddy Mellon made reference to the GEA querying uh, Dr. Glynn on this. I think it wasn't uh, a go with him personally, but as the public face of it, I suppose they wanted to find out from him what the evidence 
there was that the GEA were contributing to any spread of COVID and the GEA as a responsible organisation would be the first to acknowledge if there was problems and would act. But it would appear to most people who are going to games that uh, crowds have been acting very, very responsibly. Mm. But do you think the GEA should accept the, the, what I've just uh, uh, called out to you in terms of the NEFIT's evidence? Well, I'm sure that when they talk to Dr. Lynn, if he's able to provide that evidence, they will accept it. There will be no issue on that. But the, the, the big issue, of course, is that... Uh, this means that county board finances are going to be uh, absolutely nil for the rest of the year. This is a time when uh, county boards would uh, make their money. The, most of the spending is front-ended insofar as their county teams would spend the money during the league campaign in the spring and there'd be a lot of money going out at that stage and there has with five league games and all the pre-season games and county boards would recoup most of their money from the quarter-final, semi-final and final stages of their respective championships in hurling and football. That's going to disappear now so it means that there's a massive hole in county board finances in order to run county teams for the preparation for the championship which is coming up. And that is probably at stake now because a lot of county boards just won't have the money. The championship at stake, you reckon? Well, I hope it's not because I think we need as a country the lift that championship action would give. It's a bleak enough time weather-wise coming up to Christmas and something like a championship before Christmas I think would lift the spirits of the nation and if we have to have it streamed or shown live on television then I think it's well worth it even if it's a massive financial hit to, to the GEA and of course the financial hit isn't just from uh, Gates. This is uh, the full-time officials who work for the GEA, and more importantly, probably the great coaching that the full-time coaches do in schools and in clubs around the country, that might go. But okay. I, I think the government have made a contribution of £40 million for the big organisations. I hope that if there's no spectators, that they make an even bigger contribution because right. it will be badly needed. I just want to ask you, Colm, um, with your education hat on, as you mentioned there, you're principal of St. Patrick's Classical School in Navin, 900 pupils. Um, what's your view on the fact, the news that we're hearing today, that students will have to wake a, wait a week after receiving their calculated grades before they get to see their teachers' estimated marks? Well, I think, Sarah, I said to you a long time ago on your programme that I thought the results should have been out much earlier, that uh, any appeals then could have been handled quicker, and that the written exam could have followed very soon afterwards and give people an opportunity to do that so it could all be tied up in time for the new academic year. This is going to elongate the whole process, and I hope that we don't have queues of students and parents outside the gates of school querying why teachers gave certain grades to their sons and daughters. That could create an unholy mess, and I think what we're seeing in the north of Ireland and in Britain wouldn't give much comp- uh, confidence to the calculated grade system. Okay, well, thank you very much for joining us this morning. That's Colin O'Rourke, GAA commentator and principal. I'm also joined by Luca Casserly, who is deputy president of the Irish Second Levels Second Level Students Union. Um, Luke, thank you for joining us this morning. Just on that point that I was speaking to Colm about, uh, five days uh, for students to wait after getting their results to see what their teacher actually gave them. Is that too long? And what problems could it cause? Yeah, it's definitely too long, Sarah. You know, it leaves a massive delay from when you get that initial result on the 7th to then being able to see what your teacher gave you on the on the 14th. Um, and I suppose what problems does arise out of that? Um, students are worried now with the, with the news that come from the UK over the past few weeks about the standardisation process there. Um, and really, uh, we see no reason why the results 
both results can't be shown on the on the results on the seventh, or even come out on the eighth or ninth, so that people can know how they were treated by that standardisation process and how it differs from the mark that was firstly given to them by their teacher, but also verified by their school. So you know, it's not just the it, the teacher wasn't just involved here, but schools. Um, verified those results. Okay. Can you talk um, to me about the timeline then, Luke? So the, you're getting the results, the calculated grade results on September 7th. Um, you're getting your teacher results uh, seven days later on the on the 14th. Is that right? That, that's yeah, your understanding? And the, the and first then, year um, round will be on the 11th and you'll have until the 16th to accept that okay. course then. So it only leaves two days for you to see that result from your teacher to decide if you want to appeal that grade uh, and, you know, in that week from the 7th to the 14th, you'll have students making massive decisions about the future of their education. Uh, and for them, we have two days then to um, to make decisions about appealing and seeing that grade. It, it just isn't enough. And, you know, it's going to increase stress and anxiety. And we know that that's not good at all. OK. Should this minister publish the algorithm for how these calculated grades will be reached? Yeah, well, we've asked the minister yesterday to at least give a very clear communication uh, directly to students that they won't be either unfairly advantaged or disadvantaged by this algorithm. Um, you know, she said that the algorithm won't be released, but um, I think it's not... Un- it's not um, students deserve the clarity, to, you know, that they know they won't be unfairly treated by this, uh, and we hope that she will do that as soon as possible. All right, Luke Casterly, Deputy President of the Irish Second Level Students' Union, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Um, now, just to let you know that in a little while we're going to be talking to Barrister Tim Bracken about all things probate and wills. So if you have any probate or will-related questions, you can text us right now, 51551. You can email today, radio at rte.ie, and we'll be trying to get to as many of those questions as possible. Right now, back after this. Today with Sarah McInerney on RTE Radio 1.